0: Welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan.
1: Hey, Katie.
0: And Vanity Fair's film critic Richard Lawson. Hello. And Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. We are coming to you in uh, what I think we keep calling the Dead Week. It's the week between Christmas and New Year's. When, uh, as far as I have heard, all Hollywood is just on vacation. So good for them. Enjoy Hawaii. And uh, some of the rest of us are, you know, spending time with our families, catching up on screeners. So we're going to use this time to kind of look at the year as a whole. Richard has published a top ten on VanityFair.com, and uh, we have all been kind of writing and discussing various of our favorites of the year. So. We're going to start by talking about Richard's top 10, then kind of get into some of our own personal picks, which is going to include both film and television, since, you know, the line gets blurrier and blurrier as things go on. But Richard, yeah, to start, let's just go through your top 10 list, because I think we've seen a lot of these films. I think that's a pretty good start of saying what the best of the year was. Uh, Your number 10 is The Lobster.
2: Yeah, a movie that I saw in May of 2015. Yeah, so timely. (laughs) It's on the 2016 list, just because that's how film festivals work and everything. Yeah, what a great movie. Uh, What a weird, sad, Wonderful, kind of sci-fi sort of thing. Great performance from Colin Farrell. Great performance from uh, Olivia Colman, who has had a great couple years. Yeah, John C. Riley, Ben Wishaw, Leah Sedar,
0: Rachel Vice, Rachel Vice,
2: Ariane Labed, like a bunch of just really great people and. I don't know I, that movie. You know, I saw it um, a year and a half ago at this point for the first time, and it just really stuck with me. So I felt like I had to put it on the list. Well, um,
0: you're not the only person that stuck with it. Got Colin Farrell a Golden Globe nomination, right. which was such like a weird, like you know, the Hollywood Foreign Press giveth and taketh away. Like it gives you really bizarre nominations you yeah. don't want, and then gives you bizarre ones that you do want. Like, yeah,
2: but that's where you know sometimes the kind of split between comedy and drama, the Golden Globes can wreak havoc. Mm-hmm. But in in other cases, it can allow for someone like Colin Farrell to be nominated. You know, and well, he's
1: side splittingly funny. Well, exactly, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a laugh Laugh riot, yeah, this yeah, yeah. bleak movie about how if you're single, <laughs>
2: the world is going to end. Um, but uh, you know, Colin Farrell actually was a Golden Globe winner for In Bruges. Indeed, a wonderful I mean, performance. That for others, that alone, yeah. the HFPA is yeah. like deserves uh,
1: eternal credit. Yeah, this movie is so much fun, and, and except and yet when like incredibly in dark and disturbing. It's yeah. this, like vicious little. Thing. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to I say it.
2: if its worldview is like being single is the worst or being in a relationship is the worst. Like it's yeah. kind of hard on both. It's sort of yeah. multi-dystopian just, yeah. viewpoint. Yeah.
3: yeah, And it's one of several ambiguous or down endings of the year. It seems to be like quite the trend, even in even in your Star Wars. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of started with the lobster where the credits roll and someone in my audience is like, what?
0: Wow. I, think someone, I think someone in my audience did that too. It was like you're just gonna leave it there, and yeah. I was like, yeah yeah, 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 they are. I love
1: those there. endings. That must that might be what's wrong with me <laughs> in general. <laughs> that's gonna come up again. Yeah,
0: we'll like. get into that. Okay. Richard number nine uh, is mountains made apart by a director who, if you can pronounce uh, his name, I'll be very impressed.
2: I believe it's Chia Zhangke, but I don't. I mean, that's. Just me kind of stabbing at it. No um,
0: native Chinese speakers on this podcast, unfortunately.
2: Also a movie I saw in 2015. Yeah. Um, It's this really... um, This guy uh, is this allotted kind of international world cinema director. He's made a lot of movies um, that have been better reviewed than Mountains Made Apart. But um, this was my first experience of him. And I actually kind of went back and watched a couple of his other movies. And they're great. But this is this really interesting story that's very timely. Even though it takes place at some point in the past, it's kind of a triptych like Moonlight is. It's about young, kind of, you know, 20s, early 20 something Chinese people right in the late 90s, kind of when China was starting to sort of peer up and out of itself and into the broader world and, you know, experience the economy. And then the second part takes place a few years later when, you know, that has sort of solidified as a reality. And then the third part takes place in the future, actually. Um, And it's this generational story. It's really beautiful. It's really sad. But it offers this amazing window into contemporary Chinese life for kind of what their version of the middle class or the upwardly mobile is. And, you know, it's a rare film that I think has a lot of critique for the Chinese sort of social system and and economic system but that also has the blessing of the Chinese government which is really rare Mm -hmm. so if you're looking for a movie that sort of it doesn't explain it in any sort of, you know, academic terms, but uh, in an emotional sort of sociological sense, like, I feel like I learned a lot about what kind of contemporary Chinese life is like. You know, we tend to think about that country as sort of this monolith of just like an ideology that's opposite to ours, but it, it shows humanity. So I put it is on the now
0: list. more than ever the time to get to know China before we start a trade war with well, them? Well,
2: Jesus. I mean, yeah, look, we, we got to try something, right? you know. <laughs> I know you guys are expecting me to say,
1: I'd love to see that movie, but I haven't. But you have? But it's even worse than that. I tried watching it on a plane, and I turned it off after oh, a half hour. Oh, no, not a plane movie. Not, <laughs> yeah, a, plane not a plane movie. movie. But yeah. someday I'll come so, back and watch
2: it. I mean, I think the best context to see that movie is when you're in the south of France.
1: <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. i get there. It's um, one of those
2: like 9 a.m. film festival
1: movies. Yeah. Bring a large coffee. Yeah, and, well, where uh, I was kind of wrong. Experience raw. the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And,
2: well, the movie uses a motif in the beginning and end, I don't think this is a spoiler, uh, that features the Pet Shop Boys' song, Go West. Yes. And... It's heartbreaking, and you never would think of this song as this like poignant sort of, but it's it's really great. I mean, it's worth seeing f- for that alone. Is
1: it eligible for a foreign language Oscar?
2: I think it is, but I think it it's not in the. Okay, it, it didn't, it get didn't it. make the short no. list. It is not on the yeah. short yeah. list. Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. My version of your story is that I paid for to rent it on iTunes, didn't watch it before it ran out, and uh, it then it went away, and now it's on Netflix for free. So well, there you go, starts me right. <laughs> okay, uh, number eight. I don't know if we talked about this movie yet at all, and I still haven't seen it. But Edge of Seventeen, yeah. fall release that isn't mm-hmm. in the Oscar hunt, but I just keep hearing people like you, Richard, say that it's one of the best of the year.
2: Yeah, um, I was really excited when we voted for the New York Film Critics Circle Awards. It and Krecia tied for best first feature, mm. and I think that. I appreciate well-deserved, and I, I was really excited about Edge of Seventeen. This writer-director, Kelly Freeman Craig, who she is, she, I don't know where the hell she came from, but I think it's one of the best teen movies made in a decade. It's, it's really, Haley Steinfeld is amazing as this sort of depressive, kind of caustic, you know, mean kind of kid. And her best friend starts dating her, uh, Haley Steinfeld's character's brother, who's this preppy, cute jock, and just totally the kind of antithesis of what she is. So it's kind of about her navigating how to have some sort of idea of herself that she's happy with, but also to not write people off because she thinks that they're one way. I don't know, I would have enjoyed that movie as a teen and really found it helpful.
3: We did talk about this in a week that Richard wasn't here because I put it in as like a wild wish for... Screenplay mm. um, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and the Oscar race, but little did I know that
0: Haley herself would get a Golden Globe nomination for the film. So, yeah, back to the Golden know. Globes being our, uh, our favorite <laughs> out of nowhere. I, I saw yeah. someone say on Twitter, I think that like Haley Seinfeld broke out in True Grit and then about a decade later decided to come back and prove to us that she could actually act. And I thought that was kind of harsh, but it has, it did feel like, it started to feel like True Grit was a fluke. And then I think of right. 17 was kind of brought back to be like, oh no, she's incredibly talented. Well,
2: I think, you know, I think that the onus is not entirely on her and that like, yeah, people didn't really give her much to do i mean the pitch perfect two, you know that was cute but Aww. like um i liked know. her
3: begin again yeah she was oh good in begin yeah again. that's right yeah. she
2: was good in that yeah actually that movie is secretly kind of great oh, um definitely so i don't know i think it's really exciting performance i think that Hilly steinfeld is living a, a strange sort of <laughs> life outside of her acting career with like her you know pop music stuff and yeah she's gotten in some trouble recently for adopting a certain kind of accent uh, while while being interviewed on red carpets at award shows. And Wait, stuff. what?
0: I, had, I didn't hear about this.
2: Yeah, people are sort of saying that she's affecting this kind of, I don't know how to put it delicately, but like sort of urban, you know. Oh, street. Uh, yeah. Street parlance. Yeah, it's not quite fitting of her demographic, but... Um, <laughs>
0: This is very in the limelight digression we're having. Yeah,
2: sorry. um. Uh, Yeah, save it for Josh and Julie. But um, yeah, anyway, it's a great performance and well worth seeing. And the movie, unfortunately, you know, there were some kind of there were hopes that it would be this sort of like underdog sleeper hit. It really has not done well at the box office, but um, it's been on a lot of critics' lists, including mine. It won the New York Film Critics Circle Award. It has a Golden Globe nomination. So I think that just given the realities of how people watch movies and how younger people watch movies, I think when this movie is on Netflix, it's going to. Oh, eat the world it's going to be it's
0: going to be one of those movies that in 10 years everyone's like wait what
2: people yeah. didn't go see this well theaters? exactly yeah. well
3: it's like yeah that's what happened with pitch perfect right so we're gonna get what yeah. ed- edge of 18 um, <laughs> once this becomes right, and a cult this pitch is
2: exactly oh god <laughs>
0: moving on to number seven which I it's Mike uh, Hogan's
2: favorite movie yeah Mike Hogan's favorite movie (laughs) Uh,
0: what's interesting about Jackie is it felt like we were gonna be talking about it forever in best picture context and it's Oscars it's awards chances really seem to be boiling down to Natalie Portman which I wonder
2: why that is oh well
0: well, Richard make the case for (laughs) Jackie
2: well I will say Joe Reed a friend of the podcast tweeted out I think the morning that this the Golden Globe nominations came out he said something along the lines of amazing how when a front runner for best actress emerges all the movies other chances kind of seem to disappear Mm -hmm. and and i think that that's true and joe has written about the fact that it's been not since million dollar baby that a movie that won best actress also won best picture yeah you know it's just this kind of notoriously bad divide between films with you know lauded actress performances and you know the general film being honored i think jackie at one point looked to have a chance because i think it's a great it, it, and it, the movie is understandably polarizing. It's a weird art film. It's not the kind of biopic that you're maybe expecting. It's got this strange score by Michael Levy, we talked about it last week. Mm-hmm. I think it's non kind of linear narratively. Natalie Portman's performance is insane. I mean, it's really a crazy performance, but it works, I think, in in this yeah. particularly weird movie. I think that if, you know, Ron Howard had directed a Jackie oh. thing and then she did that performance, everyone would be like she maybe has mental problems, but <laughs> but like it works. Uh, I think it works. I think everything, you know, it's a it's a fine line between the movie tilting into complete campy disaster, mm-hmm. and I think it for my to my mind it's it stays on the on the good side of that, but I know that others don't agree.
1: My campy um, disaster boundary line is is a little <laughs> closer in than yours, I think. Yeah.
3: yeah. I meant to see it last night. I haven't seen it yet. I just keep watching the trailers and like every time Natalie Portman says, Camelot,
0: I'm just yeah. like no. what what am I in for? No, that I voice think. is really it kind of like haunts you in this weird yes. way. Yeah but yeah I mean but Jackie Kennedy was a weird person like you watch the footage of that tour of the White House she did which figured into an episode of Mad Men I think because I, I've seen that before right. yeah. um, it's bizarre like her whole affect is bizarre I mean she was 34 when JFK died which is nuts she was kind of from this patrician New York society she didn't ever seem comfortable in this national icon role and Richard in your top 10 you pointed out that and the film feels timely because uh, many in this country today grapple with the feeling that something huge has just been irreparably broken which I, yeah. I didn't think of it that explicitly when I watched it But I did see this since the election and it really does have this vibe of like shell shock that I Mm -hmm. think uh, hit me in a really specific way. Mike, I don't know if you saw it before.
1: I saw it before the election. So I did not have to have I had the benefit of only half (laughs) expecting and fearing shell shock (laughs) rather than actually living in it. So I, I could see that I could see after Trump wins that this crazy shit show in the White House suddenly feels more relevant. Whereas when I was watching it, I was like, this is just bizarre, totally disembodied from any actual things that matter in the world. It's just Mm. this, like, you know, I don't know what the hell this is. But, uh, you know, whatever. I'm clearly not the target audience, I don't think, for this. Um, maybe I think who, demographically or whatever. Gay, gay men.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah,
0: yeah, I don't even think this is like, I yeah. can see there a lot of, like my mom, I do not think would like this movie. My, my like. parents
2: watched it over Thanksgiving. I brought a screener home. Like I, I thought it was like the prize trophy that I was bringing mm, home. You know, that yeah. was like the best screener and my my parents and my sister watched it and they hated it. Yeah. <laughs> so, to me it was yeah. it's the jobs of twenty sixteen yeah. movie oh, where you're like,
1: Oh, oh this, this should be a really great biopic and you're sitting there going, What the hell went wrong here? A movie mm-hmm. I love. So, yeah. so there you go. Okay, yeah. um, I yeah. will also say I don't know. This Joe Reed thing, I'm sure he has a lot of data at hand. But like Emma Stone has a very good chance of winning uh, so it, for yeah, La La Land, yeah. and La La Land is still a best picture possibility. So I wonder, I'm questioning
2: yeah. this theory. I, well,
0: I, I think that often you'll get women who are like touted for best actress in a way that the movie just kind of falls way to the wayside, even if it wasn't necessarily ever talked about. Still like, you Alice, think,
2: the Iron Lady. I mean, yeah. most yeah. movies fall to the wayside, but whatever. Okay. Yeah. Fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think
0: it is yeah. likely, and I'm doing this based on no data, that you will find a best actor, best picture. Matchup versus best actress and best picture
3: okay
1: i'm, yeah. I'm sure that's, that's probably true that's
0: so funny i was just thinking about the irrelevance of still
3: alice like two days ago i was just <laughs> like that is not a movie we're ever going to talk about and gonna be like obscure trivia. What did Julianne Moore win her Oscar for?
0: it's like, oh
3: yeah.
2: I mean, and that's a movie where Kristen Stewart delivers a monologue from Angels in America. Why have we talked with <laughs> we should be talking about this every day? This is like the yeah. last
0: thing Alec Baldwin did before yeah. he uh you know became famous for playing Trump for the rest of his life. Okay, back to your top 10.
2: Yeah, number six is a movie that we've talked about extensively on the podcast. I don't think we need to rehash Manchester by the Sea. I think we all really like that movie. I
0: have finally seen it and yeah. it's it's amazing. I yeah. uh really I think I think it would be like when i did my own top 10 it was like number four or five
2: a movie that i didn't necessarily think when i saw it at sundance almost a year ago i didn't think would really kind of endure in my head i liked it a lot but it sort of felt small and sort of you know removed from emotion in a way and it really has stuck and i and i've watched it i think twice since i saw it the first time and it just it gets better every time so
1: at the risk of underscoring this demographic Bias possibility for me. I think this might be my number one of the year. It's so incredibly moving. I've watched it twice. It's so well constructed. I feel like you're in the hand of a master with Ken Lonergan who's taken some crazy chances and big swings and sometimes they work really well and sometimes they haven't in the past. But this one, I just found it incredibly devastating, whatever else is going on around it with the issues surrounding it.
3: That was a that was another one where when I saw it in the theaters for the second time this last week the one next to me had ended and she goes what That's it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> who is this woman you're seeing movies
3: with
0: I don't know but she's the best
3: what does
1: she want to have happen yeah I was I don't about understand. to say Manchester doesn't
0: really like cut off mid beat like it, it well, gives you catharsis well I think a lot of people
3: are hoping that like Casey Affleck's character will be entirely redeemed and have like oh uh, you know work through his shit and the story is that he can't beat it. Like, you know? What planet so, do
1: these people live on? That's what I I mean. Have they ever met a human?
3: <laughs> maybe during Oscar season or whatever. They Well, I don't know about that lobster <laughs> audience. But like, because I had five people walk out of one of my screenings of the lobster. But like, you know, maybe during Oscar season, people who usually watch more sort of predictable films come to see the movies that have the buzz. And they're like, well, this is not the storytelling I'm, I'm quite used to. You you're, know?
1: you're absolutely right. Thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. Yes, you're right.
0: And Mike, the self-deprecating thing you said, demographically aside, I think if you if you have a problem with movies about white guys and you know sad, mopey white people stories, I don't think Manchester by the Sea is the target for something like this. The story is so well told. It's well, not, I've it's seen
1: like, people whining about it on Twitter. Uh, no, I mean, I, I like. Yeah
0: we well, need I'm more sure are a lot of
1: sad white people have they ever met you know well i mean, I mean what I've is oscar
0: it? season if not sad white right, people right, right. Yeah, but I, I just you know there are there are worse sometimes
2: targets. it's angry white people Katie.
0: <laughs> or dancing white <laughs> people on. or uh, sad white first ladies yes <laughs> you know? right. oh god so many of those or iron ladies uh, there's a lot to choose from but uh man by the sea i think deserves your attention even if you're sick of white people it does but uh speaking of more representative movies richard your number five gets American there honey
2: yeah, uh, in the Andrea Arnold film. It's her first film not set in the UK. And a lot of people have criticized this movie. It's this v- almost three-hour road trip, bizarre sort of fever dream of a movie. And a lot of people have criticized Andrea Arnold for doing a little bit of like sort of... I don't know, beautifying American poverty or sort of mythologizing it and not really understanding the kind of like how the this country works. And I can see that criticism that it's a little bit of like poverty tourism, this Brit indie filmmaker to come into America and try to say something about it. But it's like the Joshua tree album of movies. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, but, I don't know. I can see that argument, but I think that this the movie, it, which is you know, sort of devoid of plot, really. It's just these kids driving around in a van, selling magazine subscriptions door to door, getting drunk, getting high at night, having sex. But it's so beautifully filmed, and it really, I think, I think gets at something that, you know, if you look past certain, you know, kind of thinking or or closely held beliefs that got Trump elected or whatever, American Honey illustrates a sort of, Desperation and sort of a kind of recklessness of people who were sort of economically on the fringes of this country, young people especially, who feel just kind of lost. And I think that in setting that kind of feeling to like a road movie where everyone's rootless and just forever moving around the country, I think it kind of captures that feeling of like, well, what do we do now? Mm-hmm. Really, really beautifully, and mm-hmm. it doesn't come down on one side, sort of like in terms of a solution for these people, but it asks a question really interestingly. So, and and um, Sasha Lane, who is this kind of discovery? I think Andrea Arnold saw. Her on a beach in florida yeah. and was like do you want oh, to the audition? best
1: that's the best i
3: feel like it was even in south america it was spring break definitely yeah it was, it was somewhere yeah. and so she's yeah. a
2: great find uh shia labeouf you know coming back from the out of the wilderness with uh, i think a really great uh, intense and weird performance <laughs> and i think maybe the standout of the film uh you know there are a lot of non-professional actors so you know so-called in the movie but one of the pros is riley keogh uh who had a great year in the girlfriend experience um uh, this Elvis's year. granddaughter. <laughs> uh, well, yes, she is Elvis's granddaughter. Um, <laughs> Love she, her. She's so good in the movie, and she plays the kind of like leader of this crew. She's kind of like the den mother. Like they all, you know, they kick up to her when they get these subscriptions, and um, they give her some cut of it. You know, she's just great, and she really brings to mind, I think, a, like a young Mary Louise Parker in this really fun mm. way. Um, so, yeah. if nothing else, see that movie for her. You know, this
1: is a movie that I would have seen by now if it were an hour and forty-five minutes. It's yeah. sitting on my like <laughs> on top of my DVD yeah. player, and I just go, "Am I going to do the two and a half hour yeah. Shia
2: LaBeouf road movie now?" That's no, I'm not. Well, you have a really good excuse for not seeing it, it Cannes because it's screened at the same time as our party at the hotel. Ah, Center. oh.
0: Well, yeah. I was going to ask about the magazine subscriptions. Is this how Vanity Fair has been uh, getting that subscription? Well, that's what I do on week? weekends. Yeah. I go in a van with a bunch
2: of hot millennials and yeah.
0: just <laughs> get people to subscribe to Vanity
1: <laughs> Fair. Yeah.
2: yeah, that'd be a good uh, subscription native ad. <laughs> <laughs> you should have do like that a clip
3: on rat tail, so you can go like full Shia LaBeouf.
2: I or? do, and I also have okay. Riley Keough's Confederate flag bikini, so if we- <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah.
1: perfect. I mean, they really are perfect to play two gypsies, like oh, Shia, totally. who really yeah. is one, and then Riley, who's like from the. The white trash royalty of America. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I grew up
2: on peanut butter and mm-hmm. banana or yeah. whatever. Yeah.
0: You know, we, I had been thinking about Andrea Arnold for Fish Tank, which is her um, kind of breakthrough film that is amazing with Michael Fassbender in it. But so I had good. totally forgotten about her Wuthering Heights until mm-hmm. this moment, which mm-hmm. I didn't love, but had this great youthful rage in it. You know, that's kind of what the story is. So, uh, yeah, she's so good at that kids on the brink storytelling.
2: Yeah, she, has, she's, she can tap into something and her movies feel like what the characters are feeling and that's kind of a trite thing to say but like she just kind of embodies that emotion really well
0: all right, so let's move on to number four, uh, our friend Isabel Huppert. Yeah. Uh, one mm-hmm. of her two movies this year, mm-hmm. uh, but you chose Things to Come, not L.
2: I did. I think, you know, I, Mia Hansen-Love, who wrote and directed Things to Come, I loved the movie she made last year at Eden. Uh, mm-hmm. She did Goodbye First Love a couple years ago that was so great. She's just one of my favorite filmmakers working right now. And this movie is the softer Huppert performance of the year, certainly compared to uh, this sort of icy power woman. She plays Anel. But, you know, it's still classic Huppert. It's a movie that's about, you know, academics and aging and womanhood and all this, you know, it's a big movie, but it's also small. It's not heavy on plot, but I really liked it.
0: There's a cat in the uh, still. Is this a notable screen? Oh, yeah. So
2: if you go back and listen (laughs) to the interview I did with Huppert for the podcast, I asked her about the cat. And then she reminded me that there are cats in both L and Things to Come. Mm-hmm. She had a really good cat year. Yeah. The cat in L is sort of this like watchful kind of almost sinister presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sort of in, witness to a lot of carries. Yeah, yeah, Well, stuff. the movie opens on a shot of the cat. Right, yeah. <laughs> you hear these horrible yeah, sounds and yeah. the cat is there. But in Things to Come, the cat is more sort of comfort and nuisance, but kind of lovable nuisance. But yeah,
1: great, great cat I, I would throw in L as one of the best movies of the year, too. I think yeah. it was really good. I mean, it's crazy, but she's but, insanely yeah. good. Oh, yeah.
3: Katie, I look forward to your article, Notable screen cats of Our Time. Oh, my
0: God. Well, I was just thinking how really since Inside Lewin Davis, it feels like we haven't had a, a screen cat. But uh, this is a slight digression, but I finally saw Patterson, which has an amazing dog.
2: Great dog.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like one of the best visual gags of the year belongs to this dog. So.
2: Oh, yeah. When I saw that, it can The gag you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, the place like erupted. Well, because yeah, like nothing
0: yeah. happens Right. In it that is, movie. Finally, there's this thing. That, yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, number three. Oh, this. Yeah. So this is the documentary that uh, Richard, I feel like you kind of picked up off the screener pile, just mm-hmm. kind of nonchalantly and fell in love with.
2: Yeah. Fire at Sea. Yeah. Uh, Italian documentary about the refugee crisis on the island of Lampedusa in the Mediterranean, which is an Italian island that's pretty close to the coast of North Africa. It's really the stopping point for a lot of people fleeing war in North Africa and in the Middle East. And it's this really beautiful kind of collage, like almost like it's a moving photo gallery of lives of local Lambedusans and then refugees. It's just beautiful. Right?
0: Yeah, it's really satisfying. I, mean, I've, I've, I managed to watch part of it before my DVD player froze and broke the DVD, which is not a problem most people will have. But to see something about something as topical as the refugee crisis in yeah. headlines, and there's a lot of like, you know, head shaking you could do, but it's just this very like lived in, it's kind of like watching what's happening and seeing, and then, and then yeah, that's what's happening. Like mm-hmm. there are migrants who are fighting for their lives, and then there's kids who are just kind of watching all this happen on the fringes of their life. And there's so many different ways to experience something so massive.
2: Yeah, you know, there are no, like, talking heads in this movie. It's very impressionistic. You know, it's funny, my mom, I told her to watch it, and she did, and... She said, I just thought that little kid was such a good actor. And I was like, ma, it's not. It's a documentary. He's real. But Because the movie doesn't present itself as this kind of, you know, you must learn this yeah. lesson kind of documentary. But it is. A, it really, I think. And then when the credits roll, she's like, what? <laughs> yeah, right. So join us in seeing movies with your mom? <laughs> right, exactly. I have to see movies with
3: Richard's
0: mom. I didn't want to say
3: it
2: out
1: loud. <laughs> well, it had to come out a good out way eventually. to get screeners. She's obviously on the screener. <laughs> yeah. Circuit. Yeah.
0: Uh, okay, so Richard, for your number two, you said, what is there to say about Barry Jenkins? Luminous poem of a film that hasn't already been said. And I feel like we have talked a lot about Moonlight, and there yeah. is getting to be this feeling of like everything there is to say has been said. But let's talk more about Moonlight. This movie's great. Moonlight's
2: great. Moonlight is one of the most exciting movies to come out in a long time. It's number two for me because I think you know it's told in three parts. I think the second part has some problems. But as a whole, I think it's just such a extraordinary piece of work. And he's a second time director, Barry Jenkins. But you know it's his first movie in eight years and so for a lot of people it's a debut I mean they you know people were not really that familiar with Medicine for Melancholy and what a you know thing I saw it at Telluride you guys were kind enough to send me there this year and it was so exciting because you know he used to work at the festival so to be one of the first really the first public audience to see it that movie had momentum from then and still has it now I'm hoping that it will have a good awards run but we'll see
1: I think it will yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, this is one of those years where the movies that the critics are loving, like *Mantos by the Sea and Moonlight, both are hanging in there, which is mm-hmm. really, and La-, La La Land as well. Usually you get your heart broken at some point around now where it's like, oh, well, we're always going to give it to the
3: artist Actually, instead.
1: Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> well, yeah It's
3: not too late, honestly.
1: <laughs> it's not.
3: I'm actually feeling more optimistic about Moonlight than I was... I don't know when I first saw it in terms of its chances and, you know, what's there left to say about Moonlight that we haven't said before. I will say that it gets better every single time that I watch it. Like you would think I'd be sort of immune to it by now, but I'm not. How many times have you seen it? Uh, I think, yeah, four, four times. Wow. Uh, Yeah. This is my number one movie of the year. You know, I, I usually prefer to pick something that not everyone loves so much, but I just can't help it. Moonlight is just that good. So,
2: and I'm just thinking about how thrilling it would be a month or so after the inauguration if a movie about a gay black guy won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't, mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. Be, wouldn't that be great? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Already,
3: on Twitter. I, I mean, I, I posted this Best New TV Characters of 2016 list on Vanity Fair yesterday, and some person accused me of making the white men intentionally the minority, um, which is not quite how I how I do list, but um <laughs> but he was
1: That he was, was me, of, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> he was sort of
3: railing about you know, well, I don't see why we have to endure Moonlight winning Best Picture just because Trump won the election. And I think that's going to be the narrative that if it wins, some people will try to undercut that win by saying it, it is just a reaction to the Trump presidency. But God, this movie is just so good on every level for me that I just would feel so good about a Best Picture win here. Just honestly good about the quality of the film. And then, yes, it would feel like a nice... Middle finger to a certain. Sex well, if of you America. feel like
0: you're enduring Moonlight winning Best Picture, you just have larger problems. Like it is a yeah. great movie, regardless of Trump or any or who's in it or anything else.
1: I think mo- most likely is Mahershala Ali, right, yes, winning yeah. a supporting actor. I mean, that seems that seems
2: quite likely at this point. That feels anointed, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although
0: I keep uh, beating this drum, but I feel like Andre Holland is getting unfairly
2: overlooked so as we rush to a Mahershala Ali. Yeah, I mean I they're both yes, great. Yeah. I,
0: I would nominate
3: them
2: both. I voted for Andre Holland first.
3: I just heard the other day that Naomi Harris only did two days of work yeah. on moonlight what? and that's just yeah.
2: wow she had like some weird scheduling thing so she flew from London to Florida for 2 days shot all of her stuff and then
3: during the bond during the specter press junket or something like yeah. that that's the fair. so that's insane so it's me, a so. movie
2: that like was made in kind of a scrappy you know like let's do it when we can kind of way but it doesn't show any of that it's so elegant and so yeah. purposeful everything feels very planned it's amazing what he did
0: yeah all right Richard you're number one which uh, yeah. I love because I don't think it's on any other critics number I don't one think it is. but uh, you yeah. know you've been talking about this movie so much that yeah. I think I at least saw coming The Meddler The
2: Meddler another movie I saw in 2015 for the there first time there you go but it came out this past spring um, yeah I mean you know look on a sort of formal level, is the meddler better than Moonlight? I mean no. But that movie, it's just stuck with me for so long. And despite what you think about her political posturing, Susan Sarandon, I think, gave the performance of the year in this movie. And she's you have so no good.
0: like the Bernie Broness of it doesn't bother you when you look back at the meddler now.
2: I mean, I would I would like to think that I can separate, you know, art from artists in some ways. In, well, in this case, anyway. I just think she's so good. Like she she you know, she plays this meddling mother, you know, she's recently widowed, moves from New Jersey to LA to live near near her, her daughter, who's a TV writer. So it's it's autobiographical. Lorene Scafaria wrote and directed it. She made that movie, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, a mm-hmm. few years ago. And this is a big leap up, I think, from that movie. And yeah, Sarandon just like gets every little nuance and detail of that kind of nattering you know sort of mom and you know a lot of the movie is her leaving voicemails for her daughter and you know um i'm talking about my mom a lot on this but but, like it sort of felt familiar you know and i just the movie i think is quietly and sort of secretly a really interesting look at how people kind of grieve in the everyday of things and, and just you know try to live upbeat lives but are still sort of mired in a sadness for someone that they miss And it's just got great performances from Sarandon, from Rose Byrne, from J.K. Simmons. Simmons. Um, You know, it's just, it's a great, really lived in, nice, fun movie. And I think that, you know, it's okay that it's upbeat and it's okay that it, isn't annihilatingly sad it shows a version of of something that I think I like to be reminded of that things are sometimes okay
0: I think you and I often share an affection for movies that are just really affectionate that like really yeah. ha- are warm toward their characters and want them to succeed and, and yeah. not doing it in a cloying way or in like a uh, you know trying to hide all their faults kind of way but just you know having a, a generous heart I think J.K. Simmons character kind of embodies a lot of that where he's this cop is just like yeah I'm just gonna be it's gonna be a good nice guy and maybe after Whiplash it's nice for us all to uh,
2: yeah he raises chickens
0: yeah. Nice. And yeah. he doesn't he plays Dolly Parton for them. <laughs> what, right. yeah. what a great life those chickens have. All right,
2: I know. What I love about this
1: movie is it shows um it's in a women's world, but you know, it's a totally recognized, it's not like some of these crazy fantasy movies for men or for women where it's like all the men are characters. All the men are like fabulous rounded people in this, but you are fully in the women's perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think you're absolutely right. It takes on heavy topics without heaviness. And Susan Sarandon, I would love to see her get nominated for this. I think I I, I want, we should start the, let's start the thing. I yeah. think she should she should be nominated. There was one quibble I have mm-hmm. with her Brooklyn accent. Is she hits the Rs she, uh, she she pronounces the R's. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's, I wonder about mm. that. Unless there's some part of Brooklyn where that's happening. <laughs> where that, some little corner be. of Bensonhurst. The performance yeah, yeah. is so precise, nice, but it's funny. As someone whose uh, family came from Brooklyn, I was like, what's Wait, going on with these R's yeah. over here? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Susan's best friend Bernie Sanders might be able to help yeah. her with her
1: Brooklyn Yeah, accent. Bernie can teach her things that's right. about the Rs. You know,
2: you know, We're talking about it, the film's awards chances or her award chances. I think it's far enough in the past now that I can say, like when I was voting for New York Film Critics Circle, you know, we do rounds of voting for so, So I kept voting for her for best actress. Yeah. And at some point, I think someone said like, who keeps voting for the meddler? And I, mm-hmm. and I was my first year doing it, so I sort of just like sank in my chair. But I just had to. I mean, it's now just they so, know. Yeah, it's just so good. You were the meddler. In I that, was in that I, circumstance. I was. I mean, I knew who pair was going to win, so I was
0: I mean, yeah. yeah, throwing um, my vote away. So you know, the the rest of us didn't publish official. Well, Joanna, did you do an official TV top ten, or are you doing characters or?
3: Richard and I did a best new TV shows of 2016 list. Yeah. So
0: would one of your choices on that be your choice for the best TV show of 2016?
3: Yeah, I would say so. I'm torn <laughs> between something at the top of the year and something I just watched, which is People versus OJ. It's hard to argue that that's not the best new TV show of 2016, just by virtue of what everyone was talking about and quality and awards garlands and all of that. But I have to say, and I know Katie just started watching it, so she'll be on my team. And here's an insider tip. Richard wanted to cut it from the list, is that... Uh, <laughs> The Crown on Netflix. Not that he hated it, just he was like, I think we ended up with 11 and he was like, we could lose The Crown. I was like, nope, The Crown. No.
2: <laughs> it's so, so anti-VF got- <laughs> of me.
3: I know. Are you out of
1: your mind?
3: <laughs> the Crown is a show that I like. immediately started watching again once I finished. I loved it. If you want to talk about unrelatable white people problems. That's probably what The Crown is. But I just think it's exquisitely directed, written. The production value is incredible. The performances are amazing. It taught me a lot about history that I thought I didn't give a crap about. And it turns out I do. Like, I'm one of the few Vanity Fair writers who doesn't breathlessly follow the royals. And now I'm like, oh, I get it. I'm here. I'm here Mm -hmm. for it. You won me over. So... Yeah, and I, I would say I think Jared Harris on The Crown is my performance of the year. A white man, I will say. Uh-huh. Um, take that, list doubters.
0: Yeah. So.
2: Must we endure? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> so yeah, that that would be my my vote probably. It's toss up. It's hard, but because people versus OJ also tapped into so much of what we're currently dealing with in terms of you know villainizing women and divided racial issues in this country like it's so perfectly put his finger on that pulse so it's hard to argue that it's not the best but you know my heart votes for the crown
2: and it seems to have been a big hit yeah my review of the crown did really well a (laughs) lot of people read it so people are like into this thing and
0: i think people are doing a lot of googling like i was watching last night and i was like googled like princess margaret affair or something oh, like that and yeah. our story on Princess Margaret was the top Google hit Perfect. so you can like we, yes. we're getting people yeah. in from this <laughs> little behind the Come curtain action us, for yes. you <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah if anyone's gonna write obsessively about the crown it's definitely us I watched two episodes and I'm so into it I, I'm avoiding my screeners of American Honey as a result so I'm right, re- <laughs> right there with you Mike.
2: I recorded an episode of In the Limelight with Josh and Julie our co-workers that is also gonna be dropping this week or yeah. maybe just already did but we were talking about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry and I was like oh god that scene season is going to be amazing I when know, this yeah. American <laughs> actress like shows oh my up God. like uh, yeah. I'm gonna be a few years away obviously but yeah I mean there's so much that the crown did in its first season that's great uh even though I yes wanted to it from the list but um <laughs> but what's coming is also going to be oh, so yeah. exciting the Diana like, stuff I mean forget yeah it.
0: oh yeah no maybe you want to rewatch the queen in the
2: meantime yes. and
0: kind of relive all that Diana oh, yeah. stuff you did I did Diana? watch the queen I watched well I hadn't
3: seen it so I watched it for the first oh. time and um yeah it's incredible and just um it's Peter Morgan, right? What Peter Morgan has done in terms of like devoting his life to understanding Queen Elizabeth, because he also wrote *The Audience*, which is the play about Queen Elizabeth and her many prime ministers. So the fact that he's just like, you know what? I'm all in on this one fascinating lady.
1: He's single handedly making her seem interesting. He's like Robert I mean, Caro uh, with LBJ. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's, yeah. She's just got this. Fixation. Well, and
0: you know she's been the queen for over sixty years.
1: Look well, so. Can we go back to movies for a second? Because yeah. there's a couple things we got to talk about with Richard's list. Okay. One is that La La Land is not on it. Nope. The movie that a lot of people think is going to win Best Picture that Richard is quoted on the fucking posters for. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs>
2: so I, I mean, I honestly have gotten so many texts and like Facebook messages like, I saw your name and it's great. It's really fun. <laughs> but, you know, it's just funny. So, it's so
0: answer for yourself, Richard.
2: Um, La La Land I saw at Telluride. I loved it you know kind of fired off a a, a effusive review though criticizing the middle stretch of the movie where it's like there's not many songs it's just sort of a relationship drama and that movie has increasingly not sat well with me i still think it's a feat of filmmaking and it's really you know it's great but um it just it's cooled in my kind of memory i need to watch it again Mm -hmm. i think
0: 10 is hard sometimes yeah i mean there
2: were movies that i wrestled with i mean i think the the one that sticks out in my mind as like it was 11 maybe was pete's dragon Mm. I love that movie. Oh, I, love movie I love that movie. was kind of overlooked.
0: Real quick, off the top of our heads, as if you're listening to this and you want to go out to the theaters and go see something in the movie theater, what should everyone actually be trekking out to see over this break? I'm going to say La La Land because I think it's finally open wide and uh, everyone ought to see it even if I'm a grump about it.
2: Um, if it's playing in your city, I say go see Hidden Figures. It's mm, a nice, uplifting... Yeah great story that is a true story that has not been told i think it's more opening wide more later in, in january yeah. but but i think it will be playing in some cities now
0: that is a great mom movie i don't know but it's a great yeah your mom a, is more adventurous everybody than a movie.
2: Moms, yeah but. it's just it's i'm glad that it's getting that the kind of awards love that it's been getting so far because i think it deserves it i think arrival if we're talking about movies that haven't been brought up yet arrival is a yeah, good one
1: i love arrival mm-hmm. yeah really nice um performance another great performance by amy adams yeah
3: I will throw support either behind Lion if it's still playing. Or oh, Lion's Sloan. good. Yeah. good yep. Or Miss Sloan if it's still playing near you. That's something oh. that we're not talking a lot about, but I quite liked it. So.
2: Miss Sloan is fun. It's like, got yeah. that, you know, it's got twists and it's it's good.
0: Oh, see, I didn't know it was fun. That's actually, I yeah. kind
3: of
2: thought it's it was a, this very, a,
0: like, straightforward drama about gun control.
3: No,
2: I mean, Joanna right? it's kind of a thriller. I mean, I, I that's yeah. I, how I saw it, anyway. Yeah,
3: Yeah, and a great Chastain performance. And mm-hmm. what holiday is complete without a great Chastain performance, so...
2: Yeah, and she has some good scenes with a, a sort of sexy Jake Lacey, which is, you know, and he was, you know... <laughs> Kind of in Carol last year more buttoned up so he's, yeah you know. I thought
0: he was just going to be the like very nice boyfriend not no, sexy not. boyfriend and this one is mm. a little different yep. exciting well, that does it for this week's episode and for the year. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us thus far. 2017 uh, is going to really start with a bang. We're going to have the Golden Globes really before we know it. In the meantime, you can find us all at VanityFair.com, even though it's a little quiet for the break. We're all on Twitter at LittleGoldMen and on our own. I'm at Katie Rich. Richard?
2: Uh, Rylas, R-I-L-A-W-S.
0: Joanna? Joe wrote this, And Mike?
1: Mike underscore Hogan.
0: This episode was edited and produced by Alana Milner and thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. This week's award for most exciting holiday plans goes to Richard Lawson.
2: I go in a van with a bunch of hot millennials.